Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 127 and verse number one. Psalm 127 and verse number one. This is kind of our theme. We're in family series this month and uh, between Mother's Day and Father's Day, and we're talking about families and what they look like and what they're all about and, and what should be happening in God's family. So let me read if Psalm 127 and verse number one. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Father, we need you today. I thank you, God, for your presence that is here already, and we can come and worship you that you are in this house. And I pray, God, for every family represented here today that you would continue to build their house, build their lives, build their families, God, in the way you intend. And we love you so much. And God, help me as I minister your word. Your word is truth. We give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' holy, mighty name. Amen and amen. This morning, the Supreme Court recognized that the Constitution guarantees marriage equality. In doing so, they've reaffirmed that all Americans are entitled to the equal protection of the law. That all people should be treated equally, regardless of who they are or who they love. This ruling is a victory for Jim Ogerufel and the other plaintiffs in the case. It's a victory for gay and lesbian couples who have fought so long for their basic civil rights. It's a victory for their children whose families will now be recognized as equal to any other. It's a victory for the allies and friends and supporters who spent years, even decades, working and praying for change to come. And this ruling is a victory for America. All right, we gotta ask ourselves some questions today. Was it really a victory for America? Now, I, I wanna tell you, I'm not here to make any political statements, so this is not about what the Supreme Court said or did or our president or anything of that nature whatsoever. But it happened on June 26, 2015, just uh, almost three years ago. And it changed forever in America the definition of marriage. And so since we're talking about family, what is a family? And it's based on the marriage. And we began talking about marriage last week and spent uh, the week on that. And, and what then really is a marriage? What are we talking about today? And I think if we're going to really sort it all out, we've got to go back and say, what does God's word say? There are laws in our land, and, uh, and some of them are good, some of them are bad. But the bottom line is, what does God's word say? Because when we boil it all down, he created marriage. He made it. He designed it. And if we're going to go back and look at what marriage is really all about, we got to go back to God's original intention of why he did it in the first place. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, and we're going we're gonna to teach a little bit this morning. I want you to follow along with me. We'll spend some time in Genesis. We'll be looking together at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 5, and so we will teach 
this morning from God's word. And not only are we talking about what the definition of marriage is, but I think families in here have all been affected in some way or another, maybe by having a homosexual brother, mother or father, son or daughter, cousin, aunt, uncle, someone we know, someone we work with. So how do we deal with this? How do we relate to them? How do we love them? How do we draw them into Christ? Is it, it, what, how do we solve all that and how do we settle that in our hearts and minds today? Now I meant to announce while you were standing, if you have children in here, you may wanna take them out. Uh, I'm gonna get very specific and very blunt today with you. So if you have any kids, junior high on down, we've got a wonderful children's church ministry and a wonderful uh, children's ministry as well. So let's look at Genesis 1, 27 and 28 and begin to affirm some things today. Genesis 1, 27 and 28 and verse number 31. It says, and so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. Verse 31, and God saw all that he had made and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now, the first thing we've got to come to grips with is we are made in the image of God. God made man, created him. He said, and in my image, I'm gonna make man. So we have the thumbprint of God all over us. The fingerprint of God, his DNA. We've got it all over us. We are made in the image of Almighty God. So that means God loves you and God values you and God cares about you and you are a very special person, uniquely designed and created by God. I wanna tell you, that's good news, isn't it, church? Every man in his image. And he gave to that man two directives and he said two things you're to do. First of all, you're to rule over creation. And number two, you're to reproduce and be fruitful and multiply. Now, now here's the deal, he creates Adam. He says take dominion over all the earth and Adam could handle that one okay. It's fish and birds and, and crops and all that kind of good stuff that he gave Adam to care over. But he said be fruitful and multiply. Adam's not gonna be able to do that by himself. It's not gonna happen, it's not gonna work, it's not gonna take place. And so, and each time you look at Genesis chapter one, when he makes something in creation, he says it is good, it is good. Four times he does that, he does it in verse 12, verse 18, verse 21, verse 31. He makes something and said, it's good. And the last time in verse 31 he says, it is very good, it's awesome, everything I've made is good. Then you get down to chapter two and verse 18, and he said, it is not good that man should be alone. So of all of God's creation, the one thing he says is loneliness is not good. It's not good for man to live in isolation. It's not good to be by ourselves. We're to be connected. We're, we're called into relationships. We are created for relationships, and it's not good for man to be alone. But not only that, the purpose for which God made man and made woman to multiply cannot occur if man is alone. So God creates a partner for him, the only one to help him rule over creation, but allows him to fulfill God's plan of reproduction and multiplication. Let's pick it up with Genesis 2 and verse number 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. 
So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place of the flesh. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib. He was taken out of the man and he was brought and he brought her to man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of the man. For this reason, man will leave father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. God's plan for marriage includes wonderful sexual intimacy. It's designed by God. It's created by God. It's one of the great gifts he gave humanity was that gift of sexuality and he gave that to us and yet two different, two genders, two unique people, two complementary people, complementary genders because it says in Hebrews 13 and verse four, the marriage bed is undefiled. And so created by God, it's very good, not good for man to be alone. Let me give him a wife. She's good looking, she's amazing, he brings her out. It's not good that man would be alone and he creates her. It is God's design for two genders coming together, thus fulfilling God's commandment to do two things. Take dominion over the earth, number one, they would do that together, and second, be fruitful and multiply. Multiplication is the result of sexual intimacy. Verse 24, he says, for this reason, a man will leave father and his mother and be united with his wife, and they will become one flesh. One fleshness is amazing. It's not just the coming together physically, but I believe that man is made of body, soul, and spirit. So when you come together in intimacy, you're coming together emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, in every other way, the union is occurring in the marriage relationship. And, and, and not only that, but the Bible says it's a picture of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it describes what our relationship to him is like. We're to reflect that image. And so God is different from us. He is unique from us. He is almighty God. And yet he chooses to come into our lives and make us one and join himself to us and us to him. And so that is our spiritual union, the Bible says, with Christ Jesus. We are one with him. And that relationship is reflected by our relationship between male and female on the earth. It's the way he designed us. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter five. Let me show it to you in God's word. Ephesians five and verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. Where does the apostle Paul get this? Only back in Genesis chapter two. He's quoting uh, Moses in, 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 uh, in Genesis. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So the picture of a union between a male and female in marriage is a picture of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. We become one spiritually with him through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Two different, two complementary entities brought together. There's always been an enemy, though, Seeking to stop what God calls good. You know, when God says something is good, the devil doesn't like that. He fights that and he comes against that. 
If he can prevent this spiritual union from taking place, he not only mars what God has designed, but he prevents the second directive from taking place, multiplication. And so the enemy wants to fight what God is good. He wants to stop the seed. So multiplication and potential never occurs. Which takes me to my second point, and it's simply this. God has embedded in every single one of us great, great potential. Amen? Now, to understand this, you gotta go back to Jeremiah 1 and verse five. It says, before I formed you in the womb, when? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, when did all this occur for Jeremiah? It occurred at conception. It occurred when Jeremiah is in the womb of his mother. God had a divine potential for Jeremiah to be an amazing prophet. I want to tell you, God has a divine potential for every single person in the room today. You're not an accident. You're not a chance. You're not a happenstance. He's got a potential for you. He says, I called you out when you were even in the womb. The potential is released through multiplication. It's released when we multiply spiritually. It happens in the spiritual realm because when I lead someone to the Lord Jesus Christ, they come to know him. They are united in him through the, through the blood and, and the spirit of God. And so they're united with him, but when they come to Jesus Christ, it releases all the potential that is within them for kingdom work and purposes. Those are called the fruits of the Holy Spirit of God. So when someone is born again, born anew, through multiplication, through intimacy, through relationship, first with other members of the body of Christ, and then they are joined to the Lord Jesus Christ, it releases in them all the fruits of the Holy Spirit of God. It releases unto them amazing potential for which God designed them and God created them. But the enemy tries to stamp this out from the very beginning. His goal is to stop God's design of intimacy, which ultimately stops multiplication. If multiplication is prevented, then the potential God has embedded in each person is then stopped. Let me see if I can illustrate it to you. Let's talk about abortion for a moment. Abortion is not just a political issue. Abortion is a spiritual issue. It is the enemy stamping out potential before it is ever birthed. It's the enemy stamping out potential that God has designed for every person, in the womb or out of the womb, before that birth can ever be brought to birthing. Pornography. Pornography is an attack against intimacy which stops multiplication before God's given potential is unleashed. You focus on an image, you focus on yourself, you focus on something else in pornography, and it stops intimacy with a real partner, your wife. Divorce is an attack against intimacy. And thus multiplication and the next generation is affected. So when a man and wife separate and go their separate ways through divorce, what happens is 
Multiplication stops because intimacy stops. There is no multiplication without first intimacy. It occurs that way in the kingdom of God, our intimacy with him. It occurs that way in our marriage relationship. Our intimacy with one another produces multiplication in the physical realm as well. So when a couple divorce and go their separate way, there will be no more multiplication. But not only that, even those who have already had children, listen to what Malachi says in Malachi 2.15. Has not the one God made you? Again, going back to God's design, God's creation, God's plan. You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard. Do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Now, Malachi, the prophet, is saying, wait a minute. The reason God hates divorce is not because he's against your happiness, God hates divorce because it affects your offspring. And he says, it is better for a man and wife to love each other as Christ loved the church than the next generation is reached through having godly offspring. Listen, we want to see everybody come to know to the Lord Jesus Christ, but his plan always for the next generation has always been first to happen through godly offspring. So two Christian parents get together, they love each other, they model a good marriage, they pray with their kids, the kids grow up, they follow and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes from generation to generation. God is always a generational God. But the enemy hates that, and so he wants to stop that process from happening. So if he can do it, he'll create a divorce or a separation. So no more multiplication takes place. And the problem is you may have kids, but will they be godly or not? Hmm. Homosexuality makes God's plan of multiplication impossible. Therefore, it stops future potential. In the kingdom of God, remember Jeremiah, before I knew you in the womb, I called you to be a prophet. The enemy is attacking intimacy to stop the seed's potential in the kingdom of God. Now listen, before before we as a church take hardline positions, which we have to do, we always speak the truth, but we've got to do it in love. So the bottom line is I bring the truth of God's word, but we always love people. I don't care where they're at in their life, what they may be involved in, what's happening to them. We love people, we reach out to them, we care about them, we open up our arms and we welcome them into the family of God. Ephesians 6, 12 puts it this way, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You're not fighting one another but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so they have been blinded by the enemy, and and so any attack is not against the people themselves, uh, but we fight against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in high places. The real enemy is not the person trapped in sexual immorality and deceived. The real enemy is the devil who's out to destroy all that God has created in his image. Which leads me to my third point. This is the good news. Every person needs God's redemption. Every person needs God's redemption. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9. And this is the, this is the tough news. This is the truth. 
Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now he has quite a list there. He opens up with sexual immorality. And we know it, if you have the King James Version, it may say fornication. The word we get our word fornication from is the word pornea. You may have heard that used for the pornography. That's where we get our word pornography from. It's pornea, it involved sexual immorality. It's used 36 times in the New Testament. And uh, it, it deals with any outside sexual involvement outside of a marriage relationship. So it would include premarital sex. So God has something to say about a man and a wife moving in together and living together before they're married. Because marriage is based on a covenant. It's based on a commitment. Just like our relationship with God the Father through the Son is based on a covenant. What does Jesus Christ do? When he takes the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Blood had to be spilt in order to bring us into right relationship with God. That is called a covenant relationship. So he says, in the marriage relationship, I want you to enter into a, a marriage covenant with a husband and wife by justice of the peace or a pastor or somebody. But let's get into covenant. Let's not just try this thing out on a trial basis. A little quiet out there. The next word he uses is the word adultery, or he uses the word adultery in this text. It's used 40 times in the New Testament, and it's specifically taking a partner other than your own in a sexual relationship. So if you are in a married relationship and you are with any other partner, that is called adultery. And 40 times he calls that a sin, and he says those who do such things should not inherit the kingdom of God. Homosexuality is mentioned in the Greek language in two different, in two different ways, right in the same verse. And it's very clear in the Greek that there's no getting around it. It's there. Verse number 13 tells us why. He says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. In other words, as I come into the kingdom of God, I give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. My body, my soul, it all belongs to God. God owns me. He paid for me with the price of the blood his own son. And so my body is meant to glorify Christ. Now, Paul gives two reasons that sexual immorality is so dangerous and wrong. First of all, he says at the end of this chapter, Jesus Christ paid the price with his own blood. Therefore, you belong to Jesus. We are one with Christ. Therefore, we cannot carry him into our own immoral relationships. It's more than just having fun on a Friday night. It's about Christ lives in me. How can I take Christ and join myself to somebody else who is not my wife. He says, I bought you, I paid for you. Genesis two, he says that sexuality and marriage, he says, two become one flesh. Jesus Christ quotes this verse again in Matthew chapter nine. He says, two become one flesh. The Apostle Paul quotes it again in Ephesians chapter five. I read it to you earlier. 
to become one flesh. What are, what are, what are, what's Jesus and Paul doing? They're going back to God's intention from creation, from the very beginning, from Genesis 1 and 2, to become one flesh. But I want you to notice something. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, if you join yourself to a prostitute, and by the way, we were, I went and visited Corinth. They had as many as 1,000 temple prostitutes. And a part of their worship to their, their idolatry and their false gods was temple prostitution, both male and female prostitutes. And, and so the, the, the Corinthians had this idea in their mind that it's somehow if I can worship God with my spirit, my body can do whatever I want to, and it doesn't count. And Paul says, God forbid, that can't happen because your body is now where God lives. It's where he dwells. But he uses the, let me just read it to you. I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 15. Uh, Pick it up there. I want you to hear it. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? We belong to Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? Now, there is a one flesh relationship, but you are only one in body. I believe the healthiest oneness in marriage is body, soul, and spirit. And when all three are clicking, it's phenomenal. For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Is the two become one. Sexual unity in marriage is a type for what God wants to occur in the spiritual realm between Jesus Christ and us. When you take sex out of the context of the marriage covenant, you defile your body for God's intended purpose for our lives. Simply put, God says no. Now, if God owns me, if he paid for me, if I belong to him, if I am his property, I need to do what God says. I belong to him. I'm no longer my own. I'm a servant of Christ. I belong to him. And so I obey him. The temptation that we have today is the same temptation they had in the Garden of Eden when the serpent slithers in and he tells Eve and he tells Adam, hath God really said? And the attack in our land today is, is is this really true? Hath God really said this? Hasn't everything changed? Aren't we in the 21st century now? Isn't it kind of wide open anymore? Hath God really said? Yes, 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 yes said it. But there's a second argument that Paul gives for staying out of sexual immorality, and it's found in verses 18. Let's pick it up there. Flee from sexuality, sexual immorality. Don't see how close you get it, so much you can watch on TV. Don't see how you can tune in on the internet. Uh, Flee. Run. Get out of there. All other sin a man commits are outside his body. But listen to this. He who sins sexually sins against his own body. In other words, Paul's logic is not only are you going against God who bought you and paid for you, it doesn't make sense because you are sinning against yourself. You create more damage and harm by getting involved. In it. And that's why God says no. He knows what's best for us. Knows what's best for a marriage and a family. Do you not know your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You're not your own. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. 
Therefore, honor God with your body. Not your spirit. Your body. Because your body's the temple of God. He is in you. That's why it's ludicrous to go out on Friday night and find somebody you want to be with and then come into church and say, I'll worship you with my spirit. My body took off. My spirit's here. Worship him in your body. Man is made up of body, soul, and spirit. Now here's the, here's the rub. The world emphasizes only the physical. Let's get physical, physical, physical. I'm dating myself. It's a really, really old song. Here's, here's the reality. How do we sin against our own body? The, the plage, the play, the, your brain, and, and take this in the right way, your, your brain is the most critical sexual organ you have because it's the source of your pleasure. It sets off synopsis in your brain, and your mind, and your thinking, okay? So what happens is, whatever creates that pleasure in your brain is what you are drawn back to again and again and again. It happens with drugs, sets off chemicals, and you become a drug addict. It happens with alcohol, we become alcoholics. It happens with sex addicts, because their, their brain has been triggered to be attracted to the source of the pleasure. So when you join yourself with somebody else, it sets off that pleasure centers in your brain and you become bonded to that person and you become one body with her or with him. You become one with that other person. What happens though is when you go from person to person to person, relationship to relationship to relationship, you become fragmented or torn apart or confused or messed up. You are no longer a whole because your brain has been all goofed up. And so he says, when you get involved in sexual immorality, you're sinning against your own body. It will have ramifications on you down the road. So Paul says, why do you want to do that? When your pleasure center has been triggered by your wife, listen to me. I am drawn to her. I am attracted to her. That's where my pleasure is centered in. That's where my joy is found. That's where the beauty is. That's where the intimacy is under the cover of God. And and I will tell you, in a God-fulfilled, ordained marriage, sex is awesome. It's incredible. It's the way God made it. It goes back to the, it's very good. Because I made it that way. I created it that way. I gave you all that. But, but my bonding, because I haven't been with 10 other people along the way, my bonding, because I haven't been watching videos on pornography every night and breaking up intimacy, my bonding goes to my wife. Pleasure central, right here. That's why Adam and Eve, it says, in, and it says in, they were naked and they were not ashamed. Because Eve became the source of Adam's pleasure and Adam became the source of Eve's pleasure. And so Paul says, flee sexual immorality. It'll mess you up. Hmm. Every one of us have God-given potential. And what happens is sin comes in and corrupts that. It messes our God-given potential up. Now, let let me say this very quickly. Sexual sin is in the same list with idolatry, 
with being a thief, with greed, with drunkenness, slanders, swindlers, they're all there in verse 10. All of these guys will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we have a problem. It's called a sin problem. What's the solution? Jesus Christ. He can forgive, he can cleanse, he can save anybody. He loves you, he made you, he wants you to get back into the purpose for which you were created. Wow, Jesus. Sexual sin requires the same remedy as any other sin, God's forgiveness. Not only does God forgive, but God the creator can reprogram the mind. Romans 12, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. How can we say God can forgive, but he can't change me? They don't don't even go together. You're denying the power of Almighty God. Now, look, look at verse 11 in 1 Corinthians 6. It says, and that is what some of you were. He lists all these sins from everything imaginable, homosexuality, adultery, fornication, thievery, stealing, whatever. That's the same thing as thievery, I guess. But whatever it is, he lists it all there. He says, he says, and that is what some of you were, past tense. In the church at Corinth, they had been with every kind of prostitute imaginable, worship every Corinthian God imaginable. But he says, that's what you used to be like. Now you belong to Jesus. Now you're changed. Now you're forgiven. Now you're transformed. Now you're in his church. You're in his body. You're united with Christ. Listen to what he says. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Hallelujah. Everything in our culture is so sexualized that sexuality has now become our identity. But it's not true in Christ Jesus. My identity is found in Christ. I am in him. I am a Christian. I am a child of God. It is found in my creator who embedded me with supernatural, God-given potential from the moment of conception. That that was a little weak. You're doing better until I got to that. Better. So if you are struggling with any form of sexual immorality, God is able to forgive, he's able to renew your mind, and he's able to give you the power to live in victory. I uh, I want want to close with this story. It's, It's found in John chapter eight, an amazing story. It's about a woman caught in adultery. We already mentioned that was in the Bible 40 times. And and the punishment could be stoning. And so you've got these perverts who are looking through the window trying to catch somebody. And they're there and they've caught this lady. The Bible says they caught her in the very act. So uh, you wonder about these religious leaders who were doing that. Uh, The Bible says they drag her to Jesus. They said, here, what are we gonna do? Now it, it wasn't, this had nothing to do with the lady. And certainly not the man. We don't even, don't even hear about him. But it's all about a way to trap Jesus. And so they throw him at Jesus' feet, and uh, they're getting their rocks up, and they say, the law says to stone her. What do you think we ought to do? 
And Jesus begins to scribble something on the ground. Don't know what he wrote. There's been a lot of sermons preached on what was written on the ground. If it's not in the Bible, I just don't even talk about it. We have no idea what he wrote. But he looks up and he says, he that, was out, that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And they start dropping their rocks, probably with the oldest first, because the oldest kind of led the way in this society, and they begin to drop their rocks one at a time, and they, the crowd begins to disperse. They've got nothing to do, because all of them have sinned. They're all in that list of verse number 10. And they all begin to leave, one by one. And he said, where are your, where are your accusers at? And he, she didn't know. And he makes a statement, he says, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Now, there's, there's, there's two messages right there. God's forgiveness, first of all, can forgive any sin that you have ever done, ever been involved in, ever thought about. God's grace is so phenomenal, so amazing, he can forgive those sins. But the second thing, the very fact he would say, go and sin no more, tells me that I now have power through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God to go and not continue in that same action again and again and again. I can leave that life of adultery or any other immorality or any other sin I may be wrapped up in. I heed the words of Christ. Yes, Christ forgives me, but he also gives me the power to live in daily victory. Right? Now, what's the lesson for us? We as a church can pick up rocks. We can get ready to judge people when they walk in the door. We can look at them and say, yeah, I don't know. If, you know we, we, we make opinions, we form ideas, we judge them in our mind, we don't talk about them, we don't wanna address them, we, we kinda shy away from them lest we be contaminated in some way. Listen, if that's your thought, you're into throwing rocks and you're into condemnation. The church has got to drop its rocks or people will never come to the Lord Jesus Christ. But our response as a loving body is to love everybody and welcome them in and say, there is grace found in Jesus Christ and God loves you and God has an amazing plan for your life. And we wanna help people rediscover their purpose and the plan that God has for them. And so are we gonna pick up rocks? Or are we gonna say, Jesus Christ is the answer. You can trust in him. There's a, there's a law right now in, in California that's on the books that says counselors cannot ever talk to homosexual people about aversion techniques, any change kind of theology, because it might be conceived as, as hate speech or it might be detrimental to their own emotional health, and so we can't speak about that or say anything about that. And uh, it's already, I think, on the books in California, and what starts there kind of begins to move this way, and so the question is, can God really change people? We got an amazing story from Alicia Owens. I want you to take a look at it. I was drinking every night of the week, drunk, and I didn't know where I was at. I was miserable, I was, I was lost. High school is, um, where my parents divorced and I started learning um, what attraction to other people was about and trying to fill the void of my dad leaving uh, with other people. I thought that giving myself to other people would, would satisfy me. 
and the downward spiral continued to where finally I was, I was found attraction to women and led a homosexual lifestyle for 12 years and lived through abusive relationship, physically, uh, mental, um, losing my home, losing different things throughout losing friendships. Um, I knew there had to be more than this miserable lifestyle that I was choosing every single day. I started going to a Bible study with my family um, who was going to faith and um, I started being more interested in it and realizing that there was definitely more to this. There was there was definitely a light to the end of the tunnel by going through these Bible studies. I still was struggling with the homosexual lifestyle. Um, I continued on with another relationship for another three years. And finally, God was like, Alicia, choose me. Choose me. And so I did. I chose him. And he delivered me from smoking. Um, he delivered me from homosexuality. He del delivered me from alcoholism. He is brought me through everything. He was there the entire time. That was my choice to not choose his hand and walk with him. Now uh, I've um, started attending Faith Remount and three years ago, three and a half years ago, I started with the outreach ministries and just serving and then offering, I was offered by the by the church to be a preschool leader um, or from the nursery leader. And now I am actually the preschool director. And now I am also working at the Mom's Morning Out program as the preschool teacher. I am I'm grateful that the Lord never left me behind. He never let go of me. And I constantly am grateful and thankful for His love his unconditional love. For those of you who are lost, who are confused, who don't know where to turn, he's the only way. If I can be delivered from everything that I was delivered from, you can too. Man, isn't that awesome? Let's all stand together, everybody standing together, if you would. We have all two workers are gonna come. They're gonna line up across the front. If you need the Lord Jesus Christ and haven't given your life to him, we want you to come down and connect with one of these altar workers and they will pray with you. They'll show you in God's word how you can be saved, how you can have a new life in Jesus and, and find the purpose for which God made you and created you. If you're having sin struggles and issues in your life that you need to be delivered from or set free from, whatever they may be, you come down and someone will pray with you. They'll meet you here. We're not here to judge you in any way. We're here to just help point you to Jesus Christ and lead you back to him. If, if, if you're sick in body, you can come as well. Listen, the Bible says if there's any sick among you, call for the elders of the church. and They'll anoint you with oil and they'll pray with you and the prayer of faith will heal the sick and raise them up. 
So whatever you have need of today, they're here for you. I'm gonna dismiss this service in prayer today. If you're a guest, love to meet you in the Welcome Center. Thank you, thank you so much for coming and being with us. If you need prayer, just slip down here in just a moment and these guys will pray with you as well. Let me pray for you right now. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for God, your divine design for marriage and for the family. And I thank you, God, for everyone in the house today and you love them so much. And I pray, God, that you would help us all in our journey, Lord, whether we're single, whether we're married, whatever place we find ourselves in life, God, we know that we need you to make it work. May we trust in you. May we believe in you. May we follow your word and follow your design for us. And we love you, God. We thank you, God, that your grace is so amazing. We thank you that you can forgive and restore and give us second chances, even in marriages, even in raising our kids, even in life, God. We thank you for that. God, I pray now you will bless your people. You'll cause your face to shine upon them. Go with us today as we follow and serve you. And we ask it in your holy, mighty name. Amen and amen. Hey, God bless you guys. You're amazing. The altars are open. Go in the grace of God. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.